I believe such a thing, don't you? I believe every word of it. And by the way, if I didn't believe it, it wouldn't change the fact that it's still true, would it? And uh, thank you all so much. How many of you brought your Bible this morning? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building this morning? And let me ask you to take your Bible and open it to the very first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 1. Matthew, chapter number 1, page 993, if you have an old Schofield Bible. All right? And then I'm going to ask you to leave your Bibles open here for just a moment. And we're going to look at some uh, scripture together here that I hope the Lord will help us as we start moving toward Christmas, all right? Matthew chapter number 1. Now, don't forget the service this afternoon at 5.05 for prayer room, 5.30 for our service tonight. I hope you'll be back, and uh, I trust God will bless our service here uh, this evening, all right? Matthew chapter 1. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. You know, without doubt, without doubt, one of the greatest abilities that God has given us as humanity is the ability to be able to speak. I mean, think about that. You know, a lot of the animals, they have no, no way to communicate with each other. And yet God has given us, in His wisdom, God has given you a mouth and a tongue and me a mouth and a tongue so that we can communicate together. And to do that, to communicate together, we have to use words. So here's what I did this week. I, I looked it up, and I found out this week that in the English language, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, there are 171,476 English words that are currently in use. So how many of those do you know, by the way? 171,000-plus words in the English language that are currently in use. By the way, there's another 47,000 English words that are no longer in use. Now, how many of those words do you know? But now here's the thing. Each year, that list of words grows longer. In fact, this year, 2019, the Oxford English Dictionary has added 640 brand-new words to that 171,000-plus word list. And among, now watch this, and among some of those new words that they've added to the dictionary this year, here are some of them, all right? Let's see if you've used any of these this week. First of all, what about this? Here's a brand-new word added just this year, the word buzzy. Now, how many of you may have used the word buzzy this week? The, the word buzzy, that's a brand new word, and it means somebody that is, um, that is all about a recent event. They're buzzy about it. Maybe a new restaurant that opened up or uh, a, new, a new store that opened up. Boy, they're buzzy about it. All they want to do is talk about it, and that's a new word. They say the word buzzy. What about this one? Let's see if you've used this one lately. It's called dictoritus. Dictoritus. Now you say, preacher, what in the world is that? Here's what that is. I didn't know either. So here's what, the, you know, you ever been down maybe to the coast and you see one of these guys, he's got a set of headphones on and he's got this long stick with a round thing on the bottom of it and he's going on the beach trying to find that hidden treasure? That's the word for what that guy is now. He's a dictoritus. That's right. He's, he's detecting, trying to find out hidden treasure on the beach using one of those things. That's a brand new word this year. I'm not sure I'm going to say this one right, so I'm just going to try it. Look at this one right here. See if you've used this one lately, all right? If it had a U, it'd be ouch, but it don't. So I'm just going to say ouch. 
Now, somebody said, uh, what's, what's an ouch, preacher? Well, an ouch is a line. How many of y'all, did any of y'all throw darts? Is anybody here a dart thrower? Anybody? All right, maybe one or two. Uh, a dart thrower. Well, when you throw darts, there's a line that you have to stand behind. Uh, you know, uh, it has to be so many feet from the dart board. You have to stand behind that line, and that line is called an ouch. Boy, you learn something new every day. Aren't you glad? that you come to church this morning. And then here's one. Look at this one. I've been, this is a southern word. I've been using this long before they put it in the dictionary. And it's the word swole. You ever got stung by a bee and swole up before? Swole. We've been using that forever down south. Y'all ever swole up before? I ate so much turkey, I swole up this past Thursday. <laughs> yeah. It's the word swole. That's a brand new word. I don't know where they've been, but they, not down south evidently, but for the 2019 Oxford Dictionary, that's a brand new word, swole. And it doesn't mean like you got bee stung and you swole up, but it does mean this, that you, that you work out and you look at somebody and say, well, I'll tell you what, that guy's swole. All right, you want a picture of it? Just look at me. That's probably, <laughs> shut up. You swole up. Boy, he's swole, man. Look at that. She swole. Look at them muscles. And that's what the word means. So all of those are brand new words for 2019. But the reason I've told you all that is because I've made up a brand new word this year. All right? This is a brand new word for 2019, and I'm using it for my series of Christmas sermons this year. And so these next several weeks, I want to preach on this subject right here. Brand new word, Christmasology. Now that's not a real word. I made it up. But I'm going to use that as a title for these sermons over the next several weeks. I want to speak on the subject of Christmasology. Now, when you look at that last suffix there, the O-L-O-G-Y-ology, that means the study of a particular subject. For instance, we talk about meteorology, the study of weather. We talk about sociology, the study of humans. We talk about geology, the study of the earth. Well, my word for Christmas this year is the word Christmasology. Because over the next four Sunday mornings, we're going to study in detail the subject of Christmas. And I think everybody's on the same page with me about this, but when I talk about Christmas, I'm not talking about reindeers. I'm not talking about elves. I'm not talking about snowmen. I'm talking about Christmas from the standpoint of the Word of God. Now, most people, when they think of the subject of Christmas, they think more of it in terms of when and where. But can I tell you something? Really, the when and the where is not nearly as important as the who and the why of Christmas. So the when and where of Christmas is not nearly as important as the who and the why of Christmas. So over these next four Sunday mornings, we're going to study Christmasology in detail. Now, not this morning, but next Sunday morning, I'm going to speak on the subject of this, Christmas biology. The next Sunday, I'm going to speak on the subject of this, Christmas theology. And then the final Sunday, I'm going to speak on this subject, Christmas doxology. But to begin the series this morning, I want to speak on the subject of this, Christmas geology. Now, if you were to look up that word geology, then I think you'll know that word means the study of the history of families. 
For instance, recently, one of the things that's really been on the rise recently, if you saw those commercials on TV, is, uh, is tracing your DNA to find out what part of the world uh, you, you hail from, you know, where your family uh, originated from. And boy, there seems to be a renewed interest in that in our day. You know, send for this kit, swab your mouth, send it back, and we'll tell you for the measly paltry sum of $559.99 exactly where you came from. I know where I came from, Toast, North Carolina. Anybody in here from Toast? Yes, my brother. God bless you. Got some kinfolk here this morning. But I, I'm not, listen, I'm not, I don't know about you, but I'm not good at all that stuff. Now, my daddy was good about cousins and uncles and putting all that stuff together. I am not good at all that. I don't know why. I have just never, and I should be, and I know it's a fault of mine. I thank God for my family heritage. But I'm telling you something. I'm just not good about all uh, that who all is kin to me. But if you know anything about the Bible, then you'll know that the Bible is full of these genealogies, these long lists. I've just read recently uh, through the book. Of, in fact, I'm finishing up, uh, I will tomorrow, the book of First Chronicles. If you've ever read those first nine chapters in First Chronicles, it reads like a Hebrew telephone book. I mean, it's just name after name after name. Let me tell you something, in the Bible, we may not pay that much attention to them now, but in the Bible, genealogies were very, very important. And the reason I say that is because in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, going all the way down through verse 17, we have one of those long lists of name after name after name that normally you and I get bored with trying to read it because we can't pronounce half the names. So if you're like me, most of the time I just try to skip on over all that stuff and move on to the other stuff of the Bible. You know, this chapter, look at verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, Matthew 1, verse 1, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Look at verse 2. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Now, normally what this is called here is the forgots of the Bible. I heard about this little girl. She came home from church one Sunday. Her grandma said, what did you learn about in church today? She said, Mama, we learned about the forgots of the Bible. She said, the forgots of the Bible, what do you mean? She said, you know, Abraham forgot Isaac, and Isaac forgot Jacob, and Jacob forgot <laughs> Judas. Well, let me tell you something. If that be true, and it is, then what we have here before us this morning is the forgotten story of Christmas. Now, as I said a moment ago, we like to, read, we like to pass over all this stuff and get to the good stuff, you know, the shepherds and the wise men and, and the angels. But if you were a Jew living in the first century... This was the good stuff because Matthew is presenting Jesus as the king of the Jews. And if you're going to be a king of the Jews, if you're going to be a king of any kind, you've got to be able to prove your lineage to, the, uh, to, to, to royal descent. You may remember one of the things that got Herod so bent out of shape in the Christmas story is because he had heard that there had been one born king of the Jews. And, buddy, if you were going to be king, the one thing you had to do was be able to prove that you descended from the loyal, royal lineage of the kings. And this lineage that we have before us in Matthew chapter number 1 qualifies the Lord Jesus to rightfully say of himself, I am the king. Now, again, you're sitting there thinking, preacher, big deal. Hey, preacher, tell us about the wise men. 
Preacher, hone us in a little bit on the, on the, on the angels and, and the shepherds. Tell us about all of that. Well, if we're going to really start with the Christmas story, we have to start where the Christmas story starts, and that's with the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I think as we look at this chapter, boy, we're going to find some great truths from the Word of God, even from this long list of names that I think are very applicable to you and I living in these days in which you and I are living in. So what I want to do this morning is I want to just invite you to take a journey with me through the lineage, the genealogy of the Lord Jesus. Now look at verse 1. The Bible again says this, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Now if that sounds a little bit familiar to you, uh, it should if you read the Bible because long before we read in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 of the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, there is a similar verse to this way back in the book of Genesis chapter 5 in verse number 1. So let me do this. Look at Genesis 5 verse number 1. Here's what the Bible said, Genesis 5 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. So in Genesis 5 1 we read about a book of the generation of Adam. And in Matthew chapter 1 in verse number 1 we read about a book of the generation of Jesus Christ. You, you say, preacher... What are you trying to tell us? I'm trying to tell you this. There's only two families on this earth this morning. And that's not the Gammons family and the Smith family or the Johnson family and the Brown family. The only two families that are alive on the earth today are the Adams family. The Adams family and the family of Jesus Christ. You see, there, there's a family and everybody that has been born of a woman. How many of y'all have been born of a woman? I'm worried about some of y'all. I'm worried about you. I knew you was under a pumpkin patch, a pumpkin somewhere. But can I tell you something? Everybody in this room that has been born of a woman is in the family of Adam. But everybody that has been born again is in the family of Jesus Christ. Now, all you got to do to get into the family of Adam is just be born. And when you're born the first time, you get into the family of Adam. Somebody said, Preacher, what's the big deal between the two families? I'll tell you what the big deal is this, the difference between death and life. You see, if you go back to Genesis 5, and I don't want to do that this morning, but if you go back through Genesis 5 and you start reading about the book of the generation of Adam, you'll find out no less than eight times in the book of Genesis chapter 5, we read over and over this phrase, and he died. You see, the end result of being in the family of Adam is death. But, buddy, when you get born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, indwelt by the Holy Ghost, saved by the grace of God, you get out of the family of Adam and into the family of Jesus Christ, and that's the family of life. Because over and over again, look at chapter 1, we read this phrase, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begat Judas. That word begat simply means to give life. You see, to be in the family of Adam means you're going to, be, you're going to die. You're going to be eternally separated from God forever and forever and forever. But when you get born again and get into the family of Jesus Christ, at the end of life, when life is over here, there is eternal life, abundant life, waiting on you forever and ever and ever. You know why? Because you got in the family of Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, how you get in that family? Same way you do the Adams family, just get born. But I'm talking about being born again, getting saved by the grace of God. So really what we have here in this story now, in Matthew chapter number 1, is we just read about the genealogy of Christmas, the genealogy 
of Christmas. So what I want to do this morning, if you'll bear with me, by the way, can I show you this verse? Look at this verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says this. Read it with me. Let's read it together. Ready? Let's go. For as in Adam all die. Stop. That's the Adam's family. For as in Adam all die. By the way, everybody's going to die. I know that. I get it. My heart only has so many beats. My lung only has so many breaths. My feet only have so many steps. I'm going to die some of these days. But I'm so glad when I got born again, I got in the family of Jesus Christ, and the rest of the verse says this, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Some of these days, somebody's going to come in here and say, hey, did you hear Brother Tim has died? Don't you believe a word of it. I may be dead in a funeral home somewhere, but I'll be more alive then than I'll ever be. You know why? Because I got born again into the family of Jesus Christ. Listen, I just didn't join the Baptist church. I just didn't get baptized. I just didn't turn over a new leaf. I got born again into God's family. You ever been born again? Boy, if you haven't, boy, what a good day it'd be for you to get born again. So now we're dealing now with the genealogy of Christmas. And I want you to join me here in Matthew chapter number 1 because here's the thing. Here's what we get out of this chapter. The one thing that we really take away or two or three things that we take away from this chapter can literally change our lives. Christmas genealogy. Let's talk about this this morning. First of all, I want you to see number one in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Number one, there is wickedness in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Can I ask you something? Have you ever seen a day more so in this day and age in which we live where families are so messed up? Can you believe some of the messes that some families are in? Uh, by the way, guess what? We all got messes in our family. There ain't a one of us in this room that ain't got a messed up family. Can I have an amen? Uh, that's exactly right. And I know everybody's got family. I get all that, but I'll tell you something, buddy. It really comes to the surface on the holidays, don't it? I mean, you know, you go eat with them. <laughs> I mean, everybody in this room has got a messed up family. I want you to listen to this. I read this this week. It says, I'm my own grandpa. Listen to this. Many, many years ago when I was 23, I got married to a widow who was pretty as could be. This widow had a grown-up daughter whose hair was of red. My father fell in love with her, and soon the two were wed. This made my dad my son-in-law and changed my very life. My daughter was now my mother, for she was my father's wife. To complicate the matter's worth, although it, although it brought me joy, I soon became the father of a bouncing baby boy. My little boy then became a brother-in-law to my dad, and so became my uncle, though it made me very sad. For if he was my uncle, then it also made him brother to the widow's grown-up daughter, who, of course, was my stepmother. Father's wife then had a son who kept them on the run, and he became a grandson, for he was my daughter's son. My wife is now my mother's mother, and it makes me blue, because although she is my wife, she's my grandma too. If my wife is my grandmother, then I'm her grandchild, and every time I think of it, it simply drives me wild. For now, I have become the strangest case you ever saw. As the husband of my grandmother, I'm my own grandpa. You got family? Everybody in this room has got a messed up family. By the way, can I say this? In some small way, everybody in this room's messed up. Can I tell you something about the family of Jesus? Can you believe this? The very family the Lord Jesus came out of 
was a family of messed up people. There was wickedness in the family. Can I say it like this? There was scandal in the family. You think you got scandal in your family? You think there's brokenness in your family? You think there's wickedness and ungodliness in your family? But you just haven't read the family genealogical tree of the Lord Jesus. It seems like on every branch there's a crooked somebody. On every branch of the family tree of the genealogy of our Savior. I'm going to tell you something, friend. There's a lot of sadness associated. If you'll just begin in verse 1 and start reading down through this chapter here, I'm telling you there's story after story after story involved in the genealogy of our Savior that leads us to make one statement. That's this. His family was a wicked family. That's right. I mean, stop and think about it. Now, I'm not just... I'm going to talk about the men in a moment, but there are four women that are mentioned in the family of Jesus, in the genealogy of Jesus. First of all, look, if you will... In this story here, look down in verse, number, in verse number 3. There's a lady by the name of Thamar. Look at verse 3. And Judas begat Therese and Zerah of Thamar. Now that word Thamar is transliterated from the Hebrew into the Greek. And, and, and if you drop the H, what you've got is a woman by the name of Tamar. Now let me tell you something. I can't even tell you the story of Tamar in a mixed audience without embarrassing me and you to death. I'm telling you, you talk about a sinful and a sordid story, Tamar's story. You ever read it back in Genesis 38? It, don't read it right. Don't turn back there and read that right now, not sitting in church. But if you ever read her story, what happened was she got married, her husband died, and I feel bad about that. But then guess what she did? She dressed up like a prostitute, went to bed with her daddy-in-law, had an illimitimate child by her dad. You talk about a sinful and sordid story. Tamar's story is a very sinful and sordid story. Her story is one of lies and deceit and immorality, yet she's in the family tree, the genealogy of the Savior. Look on down at verse number 5. We read about a lady by the name of Rachab. Now, again, we've got a transliteration, so we've got to drop the C. Now we understand this lady's name was Rahab. How many of y'all remember the story of Rahab? You know what she was? The town prostitute. She was a harlot. And listen, she even ran an inn, which many people think was an inn of prostitution. There's no telling how many homes she wrecked. There's no telling how many little children cried themselves to sleep at night because her family, their family had been destroyed by what Rahab made a living do it. And to compound that, if that wasn't bad enough, she was a Canaanite woman, which made her an enemy of the people of God. She lived in a place that God had already passed judgment on you think your family's messed up. Look on down in this tree. Look at verse 5. We read about a woman by the name of Ruth. There's another lady in this story, Ruth. Can I tell you her story? She was a Moabitess. You say, a Moabitess? She was a Moabitess. Let me tell you what she came from. Her, her descendants came from an incestuous relationship. You remember Lot and his wife left Sodom? She looked back and became a pillar of salt. He had two daughters. They went out and slept in the plains of Zoar. They got their daddy drunk. One went in and lay with him one night. The next went in and lay, lay with him the next night. From those two incestuous relationships were born two child, a child by the name of Ammon, another by the name of, of Moab. And here's this woman by the name of Ray, uh, uh, Ruth who is, a, uh, who is a Moabitess. And the Bible tells us that she is a woman from a condemned race who was the bitter enemies of the people 
people of God. I'm telling you, friend, the family of Jesus was a messed up family. Look down at verse 6. We don't have this lady's name mentioned, but in verse number 6 we know who she is because the Bible said David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Who is her? Who? Bathsheba. Boy, we know the story there, don't we? Boy, we know how that Bathsheba was married to a good man. His name was Uriah. He was a good man, a faithful, loyal soldier of uh, King David. And while he's out fighting the war for his nation and for his king, his wife's back laying in the hoochah with King David. And let me tell you something, friend. You talk about a wicked and an immoral and ungodly story. She becomes expectant with David's child. David has her husband killed. Many people even think she was involved in the cover-up herself. You talk about a wicked, sinful story. I'm telling you, this is stuff you hear on Jerry Springer. This is stuff Dr. Phil tries to straighten out every day. I mean, this is the stuff that soap operas are made out of. And it's in the genealogy. Of our Savior. And by the way, you think I'm picking on the woman, the women? The men are no better. I mean, when you move down through this list and just read some of these men that were in the genealogy of the Savior, there was Abraham, he was an idol-worshiping heathen. Isaac, he lied about his wife. Jacob was a liar and a con man. Judah was a fornicator. David was an adulterer. Solomon was a polygamist. Manasseh was the most wicked king that, that uh, Israel ever had. I'm just telling you, man, the, the whole genealogical line of our Savior was full of nothing more than a bunch of wickedness. You think your family's dysfunctional. You think because your brother's been married five times. You think because your sister's living with her seventh. You think you got a mess. Boy, there ain't nobody in here can rival the mess in the family tree of the Lord Jesus. Nobody in here can rival the mess of the genealogy of Christmas. His family was dysfunctional. It was full of scandal and wickedness and ungodliness. It was broken to say the least. They wrote the book on dysfunctional families. That's why the whole story ends up with verse 21. Look over at verse 21. The Bible says, uh, says this, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? I'll tell you why. Because their family is so wicked. You know what they need? They need a Savior. And can I say what your family needs? Is a Savior. And can I say what you need? is a Savior. Can I tell you what I need? Is a Savior. The whole reason Jesus came into the world, as uncanny, as ridiculous as what I'm about to say may sound, the whole reason Jesus came into the world is because of a mess just like that right there. And ain't a one of us in here. It ain't a mess. Can I have an amen? Every last one of us. Boy, we need a Savior. And aren't you glad on Christmas the Lord Jesus came into this world and they say, what are we going to name him? They said, name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Listen, I can't point you to the Baptist. The Baptist can't save you from your sin. I can't point you to the baptistry. It can't save you. But thank God I can point you to the Savior because he can get you out of the mess that you're in this morning. Yes, sir, I'm telling you, his family... It's full of wickedness. Can I have an amen? amen? The genealogy of Christmas is full of wickedness. But can I say number two? The genealogy of Christmas is full of forgiveness. 
not only wickedness, but it is full of forgiveness. Now, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, listen to this. All these people that I've just mentioned as sinful and as sordid and, and as wicked as and we can't even talk about some of their stories they are so bad. And, and as bad as it all may sound, guess what? They're all in the genealogy of the Savior. Or let me say it like this. Guess what? They're all in the family of Jesus. Is that not amazing? That he can take people with these very wicked stories, these very wicked, with all the baggage and all of the garbage that's going on in their life. Isn't it amazing? If it, if it were me and I was going to be a perfect Savior, I would want to try to stay away from that stuff. I mean, I'd want to, I'd, I'd want to stiff arm that stuff. I don't want anything to do with that kind of stuff. I'd want to have a perfect family genealogy, but not Jesus. No, sir. The Bible said that, that all of this crowd, and they were part of the family of God. Now, to me, that answers a lot of questions. That answers this question. Can an adulterer be saved? Yes, David was. Can a murderer be saved? Yes, Moses was. Can a liar be saved? Yes, Jacob was. Can people who have been married numerous times be saved? Yes, Solomon was. Can a thief be saved? Yes, Jacob was. Can an evil person be saved? Yes, Manasseh was. Can somebody who's bowed their knee at an altar of a God who is no God? Yes, Abraham was. And on top of that, I'm glad I can tell you, a drunk can be saved. A dope addict can be saved. A good moral person can be saved. A person who has prostituted himself can be saved. A homosexual can be saved. Anybody, everybody, the somebodies and the nobodies can be saved and become a part of the family of Jesus. You say, how? I'll tell you how. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people. Let me tell you how you get in the family. By the grace of God. You can't get in by doing good works, by turning over. I've done You can't do that. The only way to get into the family is by being forgiven by the grace of God. I heard about this old boy one time. He died. And of course, you know these St. Peter at the jokes, gate jokes. Not a bit of shred of evidence, scriptural evidence to it, but it makes good preaching. So he dies, and he gets to the gate of heaven, and St. Peter's standing there, and he says... Uh, can I help you? He said, well, yes, sir. He said, I'd like to go in there. He said, wonderful. All you got to do is take this test. He said, great. He said, uh, now you need a, you got to score 100, a perfect 100. You don't get in. He said, okay, I'm going to ask you. Peter said, I'm going to ask you several questions now. And if your tally at the, end of, uh, at the end of this test, if your answers tally 100 points, you get in. He said, fire away. He said, okay. He said, uh, he said, let me ask you this. Tell me about your life. He said, well, I've been faithfully married to the same woman for 56 years. St. Peter said, that is wonderful. Two points. He said, well, he said, well, I went to church every Sunday and Sunday school every Sunday. He said, wonderful. Two points. He said, uh, uh, he said well, I, I gave money regularly to my church. Peter said, wonderful. One point. He said, well, I, I tried to do my neighbor right and do the best that I possibly could. I tried not to cheat or lie to my fellow man. He said, great, two points. The man was just getting flabbergasted. He thought, man, at this rate, only by the grace of God will I get in. 
And about that time, the lights went off, bells started clanging, the gates swung wide open, and Simon Peter looked at him and said, Welcome on in, because it's only by the grace of God anybody gets in. Friend, the only way to get in the family is by the grace of God. The only way to get in the family is to have your sins forgiven. And, buddy, the one thing we learn from this story over and over and over again is this. Friend, there is forgiveness in the... The whole reason he came into this world was to save people from their sins. His family tree, the genealogy of Jesus, is full of wickedness. But thank God it's full of forgiveness. And I just want to tell you, no matter what you've done, who you've done it with, how far down you've gone, how far up in the mire you may have sunk. I'm just here to tell you there's a God in heaven that sent His Son to be your Savior. And we celebrate that this time of the year. Then can I say number three, the genealogy of Jesus is not only full of wickedness and forgiveness, but it's full of godliness. Godliness. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, if you look at, watch this now, through the first 16 verses of this chapter, we have a daddy begetting a son. Through 16 verses. Look at verse 1, uh, verse 2. Abraham, he's the father. Begat Isaac, he's the son. Isaac, he's the father. Begat Jacob, he's the son. Jacob begat Judah and all the brethren. So we've got a father begetting a son. For, through the first 16 verses of this chapter, we got fathers begatting sons. Does that make sense? But when we come to verse number 17, we read this. The Bible says, So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations from, the, from David into the carrying way into the Babylon, 14, and from the carrying way into the Babylon to Christ. For, now look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child. Of the whole. You say, preacher, how'd that happen? One word, God. I mean, for 17 verses, it was a, hus a daddy begatting a son. We come to verse number 18. There's no mention whatsoever of a daddy. A woman is having a child who does not have the benefit of a man. You say, preacher, how did that happen? Only one way. God did that. Let me tell you what his family tree is. His genealogy is full of this, full of... God. God had come to earth in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what Christmas is all about. It's not just shepherds and wise men and angels. They all have a part to play in the story. But the truth is, can I quote it to you? 1 Timothy 1.15. Listen to this. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's Christmas, friend. That's it in a nutshell. And that is Christmas genealogy. In the lineage of our Savior, we learn that God can take the sinful, the wicked, the ungodly. God can take all of that and by His grace make it a part of His family. And friend, I want to tell you something. If you're here today and you've never been saved, that same God can do the same for you today if you'll put your faith and your trust in Jesus. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father.